Hi, everybody. Welcome to Shasai Podcast, conversations between scholars from around the world who study childhood, youth, and related institutions historically. As an official production of the Society for the History of Children and Youth, you can subscribe to these shows through iTunes or Google Play. Written and visual materials associated with each episode are available at our website, shcy.org. Enjoy. Okay, so I'm really excited to be here today. I'm Annika Herr. Um, I'm joining Mel and Leke uh, for a discussion about their new book, Plants in Children's and Young Adult Literature. Um, before we begin, considering particularly we're talking about plants and nature, I'd really like to make a, take a moment to acknowledge the country that I'm coming from today in Australia. So I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land, the Pambalong clan, the Awabakal people, and pay my respects to elders past and present. I'd just like to hand over to you, Melanie, for a moment and to take time to introduce yourself, maybe a bit about your background and where you're joining us from today. Hi, um, I'm, I'm joining you from Ghana land in Adelaide, uh, and I'd also like to pay my respects to the elders past and present here. Um, I've lived in Adelaide most of, well, most of my childhood I lived here and then I ended up in Norway. So I'm now, I now mostly live in Norway and I'm working at Oxford University College, uh, but currently I'm a visiting researcher at the University of Adelaide, which is really great to be here again. Um, yeah, so that's all I'd say right now. Uh, I'll move on to Lika. I'm Lika Guanu-Uluru. I'm a professor of literature at Western Norway University of Applied Sciences. Uh, so I'm based in Norway and I would like to pay my respects to all inhabitants of this uh, country, past and present, human and non-human. Uh, yeah. Beautiful. Um, it's lovely to be able to, I think, all join across this international scope today and to have this discussion about this book and how it came about, um, where it's going as well, I suppose, because I'm hoping we can get draw a few more eyes to it because it is a fascinating read and I think a really important one. So I'd like to really just jump straight in and ask you both about, I mean, I noticed a couple of really fascinating things. Um, one thing I did want to draw our attention to was the dedication was absolutely stunning, I thought here, um, being noticing it's a tribute to all the species of plants with which we share our lives every day and throughout our lives, just the opening line of that. It's a rare dedication, I thought, but it just really set the tone for the book and maybe your intentions with it. I wanted to ask about how this book came about. So maybe your relationship to plants yourselves in your personal or scholarly lives. And you mentioned too in the preface that this book, it felt like it wanted to exist. So I wanted just to know the genesis of the book, maybe your relationship to plants, how it came about. You want to start, Melanie? Okay. Um, yeah, it's got a bit of a story. Um, I suppose in my own life, I've always been aware of plants and aware of the non-human and, and aware that there are stories in the world that are different from the stories that humans tell. That there are other perspectives, I guess. Um, and so this book, I suppose it had its seeds many years ago in a 
completely chance uh, meeting between Luca and I at the University of Oslo. And we were both there for a, a job interview in the cafe. And we just happened to sit down and strike up a conversation, which isn't, it's not something I normally do with strangers. Um, so it, it just seemed to work and we had a chat. And years and years and years after that, I was reading a book that Luca edited, to, uh, helped to edit called um, Ecocritical Perspective perspectives on children's texts and culture is that it's right quite a mouthful, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah so that was it I was reading this and thinking I really want to move my own research into the area of children's literature and environmental literature um, and I was just I don't know where it came from but the thought of I just thought wouldn't it be great to have a book a book about trees that was the thought that came to mind and then I was reading Luca's chapter in that book which is about um a Norwegian children's book and game or, or video, I don't know, character, who is a tree stump. And, and the chapter was great. I was really impressed. I thought, I love this chapter. And at the same time, I was thinking, I, want, I wonder who could edit this book with me because I, I felt like I couldn't really do it on my own. And then I looked at the name of the person who wrote the chapter and I thought, hang on, that's the person I met that time. And so I thought, right, she's the one. It's meant to be. I'm just going to email her out of the blue and say, why don't we ed um, edit a book on, God, um, on trees was my initial thought. And Nikki said, yes, um, I was thinking of that anyway, but let's expand it to plants. And so I'll pass on to you now to see if you've got anything you wanted to add to that. No, I think, I think that's, uh, that's um, kind of... Uh, shows the interesting backstory um, and like Melanie I've uh, I've sort of a long relationship with plants both personally and and academically so so prior to that volume that um, Melanie uh, sort of recognized my name and um, I did um, I did a book uh, on fantasy literature uh, in was published in 2015 and I one of the texts that I was reading was Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. And one of the things that I noticed working with it was the um, much commented upon um, Tolkien's deep relationships to, to, to trees. So um, uh, I think that's how it usually starts out for a lot of people with the relationship to trees. And then as you go deeper into that relationship, you, you develop... Um, an interest in other types of plants and you start exploring more widely. It seems that um, we have this long-standing, uh, in many cultures, we have this long-standing relationship to trees. And so it's like a, um, an entry point for a lot of people into the field of plant studies, I think. Wonderful, thank you. Um, I suppose then digging a bit more deeply into the book there, um, I know it's got a whole range of people coming from a whole range of areas too, all over the world. So I was wondering just a bit about that scope. Um, I'm also aware this is the first plant-centered anthology on children's and young adult literature, which is just a huge accomplishment and amazing that it is the first actually, I believe, because as we can see in the book, there's so many rich discussions um, ready to be, uh, I think, sort of expressed further. 
Um, so I know there's a question in there somewhere, but I basically just wanted to ask you a bit about that international scope and potentially even to the structure of the book overall, how that came about. So did it come organically from the submissions? Did you have something in mind that you knew you wanted to explore there? Well, I'll let you start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I would say that it, it um, sort of grew organically from the submissions. Uh, we we uh, we looked at the submissions and we saw that um, there were different areas within plant studies within literature. So, but we also we wanted to keep it to the plant theme, of course. So, all the sections of the book have sort of botanical or plant related um, headings. Uh, yeah, and, and that's something we did in the index as well, which might be a bit different from uh, other volumes that we work to include sort of plants very specifically in our index words, which was kind of a nice uh, process. Um, what do you think, Melanie? Do you want to add anything to, to that process of shaping the structure of the volume? Yeah, the structure. Um, I remember you, uh, you initially thought of the headings and I, I, and then we kind of well kind of based on this submissions we received and then we had to kind of change them a little bit uh, as the book kind of progressed uh, but I was really happy with how they turned out in the end um, we start with this section called botanical fascinations which I think is uh, it's lovely wording it was Luca who came up with that with that title and I really liked it kind of focusing in on on the details of, of plants um, and how um, that's used in various ways in literature. Um, and then I think we moved on to plants in, in, in fantasy and myth, uh, which was a really kind of big theme that came through. And so it was, it was great to have a section on that. And then of course we move on to trees because um, that was the largest section we we had as uh, as lots of people are really kind of interested in trees. Uh, and then I was really happy with the uh, with the title we came up at the end, um, plant agency and activism. Um, to start with, we just had about agency, and then we realised um, a, a, a contribution we had from the Philippines about about activism. Uh, really fit in there as well. Um, but moving back to the first part of your of your question, which was about the kind of international scope of the volume, I'll let um just say something about this as well. But um, one thing that was really exciting when we kind of put out the call for papers was the uh, was the amount of was the amount of responses we got? I think it was like forty five or, or something abstracts initially, and from all over the world. Uh, it was it was really exciting to see the kind of interest in the field. I guess. Yeah, we we should have you know we we would like to, we would have liked to uh, to you know we could have made several volumes, but we ended up with. Um, with contributions from Canada, Chile, Finland, Estonia, Germany, Hungary, the Netherlands, Norway, the Philippines, Poland, and Serbia. So 
Um, it's quite wide ranging geographically as well. Which is amazing. Um, I really want to emphasize too that this, as I said, it's the first plant centered anthology and children's and YA literature. It obviously has a lot of intersections there as well in terms of, I suppose, that more general field of critical plant studies. So I wanted to ask how does the book fit into that more general field of critical plant studies? Well, it's a, it's a critical plant studies. It's a field that's um, rapidly developing, I would say. So um, you have such a wide, um, it has a wide sphere of interest, like so many um, scholarly fields uh, can intersect in the field of critical plant studies. You have uh, botanical studies, uh, which are uh, revealing some really interesting new research on the behavior of plants. Um, there's talk of plant intelligence that goes back to Anthony Trevavas, for instance. And you have uh, work done by uh, Monica Gagliani and Stefano Mancuso, uh, which are significant names uh, within uh, those kinds of pioneering studies about um, the way that plants behave, that, that's changing the way that we look at plants. And, and that has kind of had a ripple effect upon um, the humanities as well. We start looking at our philosophies, our literatures, our cultural expressions, sort of seeing plants in a new way. And, and, and through that, re-examining our own relationship to plants. So uh, I think it ties in with, with both, as Melanie said, the field of eco-criticism and environmental studies, but also um, the post-human um, and also, I think, um, as the field is developing, um, decolonization studies, uh, I know Kew Botanical Gardens are decolonizing their archives, for instance, and you're getting studies within um, the field of plant studies, uh, exploring those things as well. So one of the very nice things, and which I think that this book reflects about the field of, of plant studies is that um, you know, it's a really an intercultural field because there are plants everywhere on the earth and, and all culture, uh, cultures have their relationship to plants and most people too have, have a relationship to plants. So it's, it's quite um, um, an inclusive field, like it, it's a welcoming field in that sense. Would you like to add anything to that, Melanie? Yeah, that was great. And I, I suppose I would just add, like, in terms of, you know, what's interesting about taking this field into, in, into children's literature studies is that, I mean, in some ways it's, it's a perfect fit because in, um, in, in children's literature you often get kind of anthrop anthropomorphism, you get f fantastical elements, you have these amazing possibilities um, even more so than in, than, in, than in literature for adults. Um, and in addition to that, you have um, kind of a cultural sense sometimes of, of children being like plants. You know, they're small and, and you can plant them and nurture them. They can grow. You have those kinds of metaphors you can think about um, or the, the idea that children are in, in, in some way close to nature and they climb trees and 
um, it will interact with plants in perhaps a different way than adults do. And so I think you can find uh, lots of these ideas kind of in, in children's literature that makes it a really kind of rich field of inquiry in relation to critical plants, critical plant studies, yeah. Yeah, I know, I know that uh, the two of you, sorry, <laughs> Annika, but um, I just wanted to mention that uh, Melanie and Annika are currently working on another uh, volume uh, on children's literature and plants uh, from an Australian and New Zealand context, which I think really engages with that, that aspect of uh, the Indigenous uh, perspectives. I think that's uh, really interesting and important as well. I don't know if you want to say a few words about that. <laughs> oh, would you like to jump in with that? Yeah, I can start. And then if you wanted to add, add something, that's great as well. Yeah, I mean, after we, um, yeah, well, as I mentioned earlier, when we put out the call for papers on this volume, we got far too many abstracts than we could possibly work with. And we also wanted to have kind of a, a balance between the different countries. Um, and it, it just so happened that um, um, Lika and I were writing about Australian um, topics in our chapters. We just happened, happened to do that. And, and so we didn't really have space in the volume, it turned out, for more Australian uh, chapters. But we received, uh, yeah, quite a lot of great abstracts. And, and so I thought, look, you know, I really have to get back to this afterwards uh, and kind of uh, move it along and, 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 and do something with it. And, and, and that's when I got in, in contact with you, Annika, as, as the person um, to do that with. Uh, yeah, and I think it's really interesting to have kind of a, 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 a more kind of a, a, a local kind of a and boundaries, I don't know if that's quite the right word, um, to focus on plants, life and literature from a particular region. Um, yeah, and also we're really hoping um, in this volume to concentrate a lot more on in, in Indigenous literatures and perspectives and to kind of um, 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 decolonise this conversation kind of even further. Yeah, if you've got anything you wanted to add yourself to that, then that's great. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm really excited about it. I think it's obviously a, a really emerging area um, that gives us a lot to talk about. We did have a number of submissions there as well, um, very much focused on Australian landscapes, uh, Aotearoa New Zealand landscapes as well. Um, in particular, as Melanie just mentioned, that idea of opportunities to decolonise what we've looked at with plants and plant studies in Australian and New Zealand areas. Um, so we have a very particular history, of course, um, being an invaded country, of colonization of very colonial texts that have a particular way of mapping onto the land and trying to negotiate a very different Australian landscape in particular. Um, and so we can see a real shift in terms of how we move from the colonial to, uh, I will say, I guess, post-colonial to texts that are indigenous or actively trying to decolonize our perspective on plants there in relation to children and young adult literature. So we can see a real narrative that emerges uh, throughout, which is quite beautiful, I think, and quite amazing to get to study. So I suppose that uh, leads into my next question which was just to see where do you see scholarship on critical plant studies in children's literature going are there any other aspects I mean I suppose we've just said great there's another book coming out hopefully not too far down the track 
Yeah, well, I think I think um, you can say that in a way that's uh, a kind of a parallel um, to how um, eco-criticism developed as a field as well, because you had sort of um, a start in um, the States and then you it spread out and you got uh, later on an emphasis on different regional literatures, because obviously when we're talking about ecosystems, the local context is really significant. So I think, um, so I think definitely that's uh, something that's uh, um, sort of, uh, yeah, the word natural is, uh, it's uh, sort of a contested word within ecocriticism, but it's, uh, it's a trajectory that's not surprising to put it that way. Um, and um, yeah, I uh, I'm looking forward to all the different ways that that the field will diversify. We had we had a few different um, different um, entries on uh, young adult literature, but not that many. So that's uh, one field that I personally would like to see uh, explored more deeply as well in relationship to plants. Mm, I don't know about you, Melanie. Yeah, um, in terms of areas, I mean, we we also had a really interesting chapter in our book on 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 on, on poetry written by children, and I thought that was a really interesting perspective in 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 in, in both respects. One uh, focus on poetry and and vegetal poetry, I found really interesting. It's it's an area that I'm. I'm working on, on myself, uh, but also uh, focus on 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 writing not just for children, but produced by children. Kind of opens up a whole new, uh, yeah, a whole new area and and questions, I guess. And then ultimately, you know, perhaps we'll get a volume about children's literature written by plants so that's um, <laughs> sort of the utopical horizon there I love that idea um I wanted to ask as well because I know this is something in my own writing I have been stu uh, struggling with a little bit given that my background is more in young adult and children's literature so I'm often placing the human at the center of my explorations and I'm very much trying to shift that focus to thinking about the non-human and the more than human so I wanted to ask what steps did you take to ensure that plants remained at the center of this volume or was it something you struggled with at all or completely fine no, the, the thing with this book was that how little of a struggle it felt. Uh, it, it was like, it just, um, it's uh, it's sort of like, uh, you know, overused metaphor, but it kind of grew, <laughs> grew in its own directions. And we were kind of just um, following alongside a little bit. Uh, would you, would you add anything to that, Melanie? Do you think that's a good description i i just felt like it's one of the um sort of more light and interesting and effortless books that i've uh that worked on so yeah absolutely i mean it, it, it yeah it was really a joy and to work with i think it, it was it never felt like a chore it was always um it was you know it was always a nice thing to return to um I suppose in terms of keeping the plants at the centre, occasionally we had to tell, uh, in, in working through uh, revisions of the chapters, sometimes we had to say, I'll oh, just bring the plants a bit earlier um, 
in, in your writing, focus first on the plants. Um, and that's also something I think in our current book, in a, a, a couple of the chapters we're working with, we have to kind of help with that, I suppose, like just to really focus people on the plants early on. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and I guess right. when you say when you say that, that's part of the editorial process as well. Was that mm. some of the some of the contributions we we um, didn't accept uh, or we didn't choose to work with had sort of took a bit long to get to the plants. So so obviously there's a process in our own thinking and in um, one's thinking when one starts working with the with the other than the human to. So you have to work through your own thought processes a bit to to sort of arrive at the point where where the plants um, are at the center, perhaps. Hmm. Yeah, that's lovely. Um, I suppose as we come to the end of our discussion, I wanted to ask just about any chapters you wanted to highlight that you found particularly interesting. I know all of them, I'm sure it's like probably trying to ask you to pick a favourite child, but if there are any particular or if you wanted to have a brief chat about your own chapters, I'd love to hear uh, you do at least a summary of what you focused on yourselves. Yeah, go ahead, Melanie. Oh, me go ahead. <laughs> okay, well, I'll start with myself because that's easier. Um, my own um, chapter was on, well, it's called Arboreal and Maternal Desires, Plants and, and, and Mothers in, um, in Australian middle grade fiction. And it just, that chapter as well, it just seemed to kind of want to exist. I'm, I'm interested in, in uh, it in representations of the maternal anyway, but um, I just happened to read these three books published quite recently that all kind of linked or, or juxtaposed trees and, um, and, and, and mothers in really interesting ways and in ways that seem to revise and question are the really a well-known American picture book um and the giving tree um which is about a tree uh that loves a little boy so completely that she's completely happy to get sort of hacked down in the end <laughs> and to completely sacrifice herself uh it's a kind of a strange book it's it's quite loved and i think quite hated as well um but these these australian um, and books were all, each of them I was doing something quite different with um and with trees and mothers and I yeah it was just um yeah it was it was interesting to kind of think about that and what that meant and what possibilities were kind of um, encased in that uh, but in terms of 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 other um um of other um, um chapters one I I will just quickly highlight I mean that I really like them all but um. One that uh, has been, yeah, it is, I think, quite um, quite new, um, is, is, is Chapter 5 on magical plants in the Serbian children's fantasy 
fiction. And that's obviously an area that I, I was not at all um, an expert in before I read the chapter. I bet it was so interesting to put a read about the historical and mythological heritage um, related to plants uh, in that country and, and how that has been kind of um, revisited, transformed um, and, and reworked in contemporary fantasy fiction for children and young adults. And so I think that chapter is a really interesting one. Okay, I'll stop now. So I think I think like you that it's hard to highlight uh, any specific chapters because obviously we chose them all because we found them really interesting. Um, mm. But there are there are different chapters. There's one that um, um, talks about um, Aristotle's uh, relationship to plants and doesn't really deal with children's literature that much. But uh, it's in the book because. Um, Criticism of Aristotle's scale of nature is like a figure within the field of critical plant studies. So we thought it was interesting to, to challenge a philosopher with an expertise in, in Aristotle to, to um, sort of defend him against these criticisms. So um, uh, that's one chapter that uh, attempts to contribute to the theoretical discussion within critical plant studies as well in, um, in that sense. And um, I think that uh, that all of the chapters are interesting. So I'll do like Melanie to to just basically um, say a little bit about my own chapter um, because I've um, I've done an analysis of uh, vegetable violence uh, in the very popular Australian treehouse series um, by Andy Griffiths and Terry Denton. Uh, and my son really loved that book series, so I've uh, kind of read it a lot. But I, in this uh, particular volume, in the 52nd Story Treehouse, there's actually this very interesting narrative um, that discusses the ethical position of plants in a sort of offhand way, or it's possible to read it in that way. And, and um, that ties in with one of my research interests generally, which is I like to look at things that are seemingly simple, but then if you look at them ethically, um, there are really a lot of ethically and aesthetically things are more complicated. So um, texts um, are quite open and quite uh, intricate, even if there are children's texts as we, who are children's literary researchers know. But yeah, I, I think that the, in that particular book, uh, it's like a petite histoire of, uh, of plant studies and, and our ethical relationship to plants. So I, I thought that was really um, interesting to explore. Absolutely. There's so many amazing chapters I found that just covered such a gamut of topics, um, which was just fantastic to see. So it was a really enjoyable read. I do encourage anyone to have a look at it, check it out. Um, I don't think we mentioned briefly before too, um, I will mention there's another collaborator on uh, Melanie and I's book that we're working on at Brooke Collins Gearing. Uh, and I did want to also highlight that like he has a chapter in that book uh, as well that she's working on. So very excited to see what comes out of that too. I don't know if we mentioned it before. Um, I did just want to ask, was there anything else that we haven't touched on that you'd really love listeners to hear about? No, I think uh, for my part, I would just sort of like to extend, um, you mentioned the pre preface to the book, 
and um, we kind of just see the book as a, a seed that we pass we pass on and then we're excited to see um, within the field of children's and young adult literature research uh, what comes of that seed uh, like down the road yeah we hope hopefully new and interesting research will sprout from it so that's um, that's my parting wish to put it that way sounds a bit morbid doesn't it <laughs> Maybe. that's great and i would just yeah, I, I, I would echo that. I think, I think that's a great, a great way to end. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much for talking about this with me today. I think it's just been a really interesting discussion and I'm so excited to see, um, I suppose, yeah, how this book takes root. Uh, I feel like this topic is just so rich for these metaphors and this language that we can use. So it's, um, but it does certainly instill a lot of ideas in readers and researchers in this area. And I think they can approach it from a whole range of directions and intersections, which is quite lovely. So we can branch off in a lot of directions there. Um, but thank you both so much for joining me um, and for everyone for listening along today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Shusai Podcasts. You can find more materials and features from the Society for the History of Children and Youth online. shcy.org.